John, a lot of people are saying this sports media podcast is becoming a tradition unlike any other. Oh, hello, friend. We'll be talking about the big move that CBS and Turner are making with Jim Nance. No longer going to do the Final Four after this year. Iron Eagle is going to be in in 2024. That's not the only big news. Our big get today, Joe Davis, the new voice of baseball. He's here. Hits one in the air, left center field, back it goes! Harper, the swing of his life! And we're back. The Marshan and Oran Sports Media Podcast. I'm Andrew Marshan, sports media columnist for the New York Post, and he's John Oran. John Arad is the media reporter for the Sports Business Journal. And today, John, as you mentioned, the big get, Joe Davis, he'll be starting and calling the World Series for the first time this year after Joe Buck did it for 24 years. So that's coming up later. More importantly to me, Andrew. We both followed the pod rule today. You broke big news yesterday on, on Jim Nance leaving the Final Four. I broke some news on, uh, on the NBA telling the RSNs they had to get their, uh, their announcers to the games. Like, well done. This is how the pod is supposed to work. And John, look, let's go inside the pod. I just broke a record for having to redo the opening for like 8 million times. <laughs> in, fact, in, in fact, can we, can we really go in? You said I was reacting too much. I like raised an eyebrow once. <laughs> Not going on, not going on here. So those are the outtakes. But uh, if you want to go back in the archives, Pedro Martinez last week, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Marie Donahue. Uh, so a lot of podcasts to go and catch up on if you haven't uh, heard those yet. Some really good informative interviews uh, there. And Joe Davis a little later uh, is the same thing uh, as he gets his start. All right. Well, let's get started for who's up, who's down. Who's up? Who's down? All right, my who's up, Ian Eagle. He's going to be the new voice of the Final Four. Uh, not this year. Jim Nance will do it this year. And then the following year, uh, I think it's deserved. I think Eagle, I wrote it uh, in my story. Uh, he's kind of like the Dan Marino of sportscasters. Uh, Marino is the best pure passer probably ever, but never uh, had a championship, uh, major championship. Eagle gets his major championship. And why? I mean, because it calls like we heard last week when he's doing the jet game uh, first on this Brees Hall touchdown. They're right back in this thing. Second snap for Denzel Mims. He's in there. They go to the run game. Oh, look at the speed of Brees Hall. He's done it again. Brees lightning. 62 yards for the touchdown. And then, John, to end the game, uh, he, he went to his, his bag, as the kids like to say, again. Gordon in the backfield. Rip it. Rifles ahead. End zone. Incomplete. Cortland Sutton got lost in the sauce. And so if you ask me, I Eagle deserving. I wrote a couple of years ago, uh, Jim Nance, uh, tremendous run, more than three decades, uh, deserves his credit uh, for such a long run doing one event. It's unheard of for a network to keep a, a property like that for that long. And then for Nance to hold on to that job uh, and, and he'll do one more and go out in Houston, uh, which is where he wanted to go. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit, even more. Yeah, that's going to be topic number one. So I'm just going to get it right into uh, topic number two. My who's up is going to be Bill Koenig, uh, uh, executive at the NBA. I also refer to him occasionally as Mr. Melinda Whitmer. Melinda Whitmer, of course, a longtime cable executive, programming executive with Time Warner Cable. 
but uh, Bill is the they, guy. They're married, I presume. They are married, yeah. Okay, yes. all right. Happily married, yeah. All right, because I just didn't know if you just referred to him that way. All right. <laughs> no, no, John's very, in, you're entrenched with these. You know who everyone's married to. Okay, I just yeah. want to make sure, make that clear. All right. Are, are you kidding me? They are the power couple of uh, of sports media, just about it. All right. Well, Bill uh, uh, and his group at the NBA told all of the RSNs, you cannot call games remotely anymore. And speaking as a fan who watches way too many NBA games on, uh, on uh, NBC Sports Washington down here, the, uh, uh, that, that, that is really welcome. It's a fan-friendly um, de decision to make. Uh, over COVID, the NBA and all the other leagues you know, started calling games remotely, and we've seen a lot of mistakes uh, from, from that. Of course, Matt Vaskirgen, uh, having, having probably the, the most famous one, calling a, a foul ball that ended up going uh, being a home run earlier this season. Mike stays put, and it's fouled away. Check that. It's hit well to the other way, and it's gone. I almost gave a who's down to Gary Bettman uh, because hockey has not done that. And then there are some hockey teams that are still calling the uh, games remotely and not traveling with the teams. It just, we, th this has been a consistent theme on this pod with both you and me, Andrew. If, if you care about the, uh, the, the games, if you wanna show the games in the best way, you have to have announcers at the game where they're able to see more than just off monitors. Yeah, we'll get into that in a little bit more on the, in the topic. So let's do who's down, who do you got? Well, my who's down, uh, I'm gonna do Eddie Q. Uh, of Apple TV Plus, uh, uh, you saw the news. Apple was raising its subscription price from uh, $5 to $7 a month, a pretty hefty fee. And they blamed programming costs. They, you know, they, they started with a few shows and now they have a lot more shows. Um, they're not the only ones. Over the summer, ESPN, they went up from $6.99 from $7 a month to $10 a month. I mean, that's a, that is a huge price increase. Uh, for, for ESPN. And they were like, well, you know, it's still a great value. And it's a still a good value. But you know, it used to be at six. And, and I think this is what all of the streamers are going to be finding out as they uh, as they invest more into the into sports programming is the scourge of viewers for decades have been cable operators that would always have to increase rates. Well, these are for profit businesses. They're, uh, they're, they're public companies. They need to start making a profits. You're going to start seeing uh, more and more of these uh, price increases. They're going to become uh, virtual annual uh, events. Amazon raised its Prime subscription based on getting Thursday night football. Well, my wife, she uses a Prime subscription. She doesn't care about Thursday night football. It didn't help her out at all. But we're going to we're going to see this increasingly because this is part of what happens when you get into uh, trying to sell video. One thing about the Amazon, you know, price hike, they did say uh, the NFL and, they, and Lord of the Rings, which I think cost a half a billion dollars. But if you look at their history, every four years is when the price generally goes up. And that's what happened uh, when, when it just went up. So, yes, they were able to kind of put it on the NFL, put it on uh, Lord of the Rings. But it's also uh, that's that's their history. And one other point, just to piggyback on what you're saying, uh, I think when ESPN, the mothership goes direct to consumer stays on cable but also goes direct to consumer i think it will go it'll start a little bit lower than i think some people anticipate with the idea that it'll jack itself up and, and the price up as it goes on to get more people in the tent uh, cuz you rather not overprice at the beginning 
go over, get people hooked, and then start to start to uh, to charge them more and more and more. And then pretty much you, you have uh, another consistent theme of the pod, Andrew, the cable bundle. It was a great value. I love the cable bundle. And what you're going to see is all these streamers eventually uh, costing as much as people used to pay for, you know, 200 channels. My who's down, Chris Myers of Fox Sports, who was unlucky because he had the giant game, which meant it was on in, in this market. So I got to watch uh, a lot of Chris Myers and it wasn't great. Uh, I just lack of just a lot of things, and especially just the tone of the game. Uh, this is the final call. Now, this is this play. We didn't see if you don't know what happened in the giant game. This is the last play of the game. Jaguars driving Trevor Lawrence. Um, looking to go to the end zone. The pass is completed, you know, just outside the end zone. And this was what we heard from Myers. The throw at the goal line. Caught by Christian Kirk. But there's no more time. That's not the tone that you want to hear in that type of play. This is a game deciding play. This isn't the third quarter. Uh, little little play in the third quarter, second quarter. This was the last play of the game. Uh, this needed the wasn't the right tone. And just throughout uh there was something lacking uh with the Myers call I thought actually Mark Slareth who I'm not the hugest fan of I thought the last couple of weeks he would know Eagle the week before this week with Myers I actually thought he was a little better a little more toned down than he's been uh maybe it's my imagination but but I thought Slareth was a little better the last couple of weeks yeah last play of the game in the New York market with a six and one team yeah you gotta you gotta have a little bit more uh excitement on that one I think hundred percent. Well, Andrew, let's get started. Topic number one, your big story from Monday night that you broke in the New York Post. Jim Nance, after three decades, the voice of the NCAA tournament is uh, after this se- after this season going to call it quits. Why is he doing this? He told me, number one, his words, it's time for daddy to come home. Uh, <laughs> that's what he said. Uh, he has two young kids. You know, Nance is 63 but he has, I think, a six and an eight-year-old, so two little ones. He has an older daughter, too, who's nearly 30. Uh, and he's still going to be calling NFL games. He's still going to do golf, so he's still going to be working plenty. Uh, but he's going to not work, uh, you know, March Madness, uh, Iron Eagle. And, and, and the reason for this one, you know, I think this has kind of been in the works for a while. Uh, the reason Nance wanted this one to be his last um, number one, it's on CBS. It alternates between TBS and CBS every year. For Nance, it was important to be on CBS for that last call. And that's in Houston, which is where Nance went to college. And so this brings symmetry, uh, which Nance loves uh, to, to draw those dots together. Uh, and so it, that brings it for him. And Houston's pretty good. <laughs> he could be in the, imagine if they're in the uh, final four, that'd be a pretty good story uh, for, for Nance and CBS. Um, and Ian Eagle gets it to me. He's deserving. Um, he's been the best play-by-player on the tournament and maybe the best in all of basketball for. Well, before we get to Ian Eagle, let's, let, let's uh, stick with Nance a bit. He's okay. still going to be involved with the NCAA tournament. Yeah. He told me that his plan is to still hand out the trophy every year. He wants to watch the game in the stands with his kids and then say, Oh, wait one second, everybody. I'm going to, I'll be back in a minute, go down to the floor and, uh, and give the trophy to the team that wins, uh, which he's done even as the play-by-player. You know, it's been like the Nance tournament. He does the PA. He's done the uh, play-by-play. He does the uh, trophy presentation. Sometimes you spread those jobs. And he has a tradition where he also gives a tie out to one of the players on the the winning team. Is he going to continue with that? I think he stopped that five years ago. 
He did do that, but I believe he stopped the Thai tradition. Why did he stop that? Well, I do think it got into the blogosphere and it was made fun of, which I think you can make fun of it. I don't think it's like uh, sacrosanct to not make fun of it. But, uh, you know, there were a lot of responses to my story with, you know, who gets the last tie, but I don't think he gives out the tie anymore. Mm. So that, 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 that tradition was retired. Oh, uh, you know, maybe that was a tradition, unlike any other. Andrew, that's a tradition. <laughs> like they're 21 year old. There's always a little, weird. you know, Nancy's, he's, uh, well, let's say this about Nancy that, you know, he's not, uh, college basketball is probably the worst of the, uh, of the three that, that he did. And he, I thought he was still very good at it. I mean, he's, I'm always big on the big game voice. He has a big game voice. If I hear Jim Nance's voice at college basketball, I'm going to want to be there. But he is uh, an A-plus golf announcer, in my opinion. I think he, that, that's, his, that's his best uh, announcing venue. I think he does a, an extraordinary job at that. And he's, CB, he's been CBS's number one NFL play-by-play announcer for you know decades as well. So yeah, he, he's had a schedule that's been virtually a 12 month schedule. So the, the idea of him stepping back from, from this March in order to, to um, you know, uh, spend more time with the young kids. And uh, it, it, that to me is a totally be- believable uh, um, reason for stepping back. Yeah, and look, he, he hadn't been doing, he hasn't done the regular season for a while now or very minimal amount. So he sort of was just kind of parachuting in uh, for the tournament. I think the one you know, I asked him what his greatest call he thought was. He didn't really have one. And I don't really have one either. Like he did the things at the end with like Carolina Blue and those type of play on words. He did that for a while, but he doesn't necessarily have that call. It's kind of interesting. Vern Lundquist, if you look over the span of 30 years, he probably had the biggest call, um, the Leitner shot and uh, on the against Kentucky back, I think it was 91, 92. Uh, and then, you know, Gus Johnson had his, run uh where he's very popular and then Ian Eagle to me has been the best uh going for a while now so uh yes he, he I, it's one of those chicken and egg things though I, I do think that we kind of I'm hesitant to do that I don't want to just say Joe Buck Al Michaels and these people can or the only ones who could do big games to me it comes down to how good are you at the job and like if you look at Monday Night Football I think they kept making a mistake because the level wasn't high enough not that the people weren't up to the task and I, you know, I don't think we this whole announcer movement wouldn't have happened if they just gotten probably uh, the play-by-play position specifically correct from the beginning. That's where they kind of Monday Night Football struggled. So, yes, Nance is associated with it, but if you do it for thirty years, you're going to be. Uh, of course, you have to be good at calling uh, the, the games, but uh, just the auditory of hearing uh, auditory <laughs> auditorium, just listening to, a, I don't know. Did I make up a word there? The auditorium. I like it. We'll get it on the, All right. somebody got me for irregardless on the, uh, reviews. Very oh, nice. you, by the way, when you, I, I, I noticed when you said that it's just regardless, you don't have to say irregardless. Wait, hold on one second. Now we have some breaking news. Are you the person who sent that review on the, uh, when you go look at, uh, the podcast or oh, someone wait. on the, on one of the reviews, it says, Great podcast, you know, very complimentary. Thank you to that person. And, but irregardless is not the word. Now I'm thinking that that I'm going to have to look at that name and see if it's no, like, no, believe me, if I or ran spelled backwards or something, I'm no, gonna, it, if I was going to anonymously post, I would post more positive things about me than negative about you. Certainly, certainly. So like, like, Oran, that can't be me. Oran's carrying it. It should be Oran <laughs> and Marshan. <laughs> what is this? Why is Marshan? He doesn't even need Marshan. Come on. Yeah, Oran to do a solo podcast 
I would get five stars and Marshall wasn't on it. That'd be good. I mean, actually, could try. Uh, to well, do that. All the to me, this speaks uh, the, the level of depth that CBS has in in, in the announcer group. Um, that you can have Kim Nance step aside, and then you wrote this in your story, and I, I it made me blanch, and I tried to disagree with it, but I can't come up with a better basketball announcer right now than than Ian Eagle. I think uh, in, in terms Green, of Mike uh, Breen's the one who I think you could put in that category. Maybe, but you know what? It's a discussion. I think that you're having. I think it's a, a, a legit discussion. So you you put in one of the top two, three, four, maybe, uh, and um, basketball announcers. It just slide right in there. It's uh, you're uh, you're not going to see any difference, I think, moving forward on on CBS in terms of quality. Yeah, Nance even says he thought he'll he'll bring it to a new level. Uh, another hire that CBS and Warner Brothers Discovery, which is the parent company of Turner uh, WBD Sports, we have to get that in there for our boy Nate Smelts over there. Turner or WBD Sports, because that's what their branding is now. So when you read it in stories, you hear us and we talk about WB. I can't even say it, WDB Sports. Warner Brothers Discovery, WBD Sports. Wait, what is it? Warner Brothers Discovery. Now what? Let's just call it. I'm just calling it TNT from here on out. Oh, wow. No, Warren already. TBS, TNT. Cutting bait on this. All right, too hard to say. All right, we're back to Turner. Anyways, CBS and Turner, they hire Jay Wright. Huge hire. I think a very good hire. Jay Wright, Hall of Fame coach couple national championships, I think with the four final fours. Uh, I covered him a little bit when he was at Hofstra. Great guy then. All reports, great guy now. Uh, great combination. Awesome coach. Good guy. That's what you like to see. That could be very good. First, in, you're going to do games and studio for the final four. Phil Rafter, he's not going anywhere. I think he's going to want to do it for as long as he can. And nobody's pushing Bill Rafter out. But if you look at a succession, uh, this is the heir apparent. Uh, for Bill Raftery is Jay Wright one day maybe moving in with Grand Hill with Ian Eagle and that could be a really good team. And a couple of years, Jay Wright has actually sat on the desk for for the Final Four to do it. Uh, the, the CBS executives love him. Uh, I thought that he did a you know a, a fine job, especially for somebody that's coming in from the, the coaching ranks. Um, and uh, that that does seem to be sort of a progression that to, to keep an eye on there. Okay, let's move to the NBA announcers. And you had it as your who's up. I could not, I want to say, I could not be more with you. Uh, you need the announcers there. You need the producers there. Okay, that's our next step. All right, you need to do the broadcast the right way. You don't miss things when you do it that way. And you know, people, they, they're people listening and, you know, the people who are just uh, counting every penny. You're not, it, I, I can't imagine it's worse. Especially, again, some smaller sports that are on ESPN plus or something. Yeah, that's different. But when you're talking about the NBA, the NHL, major league baseball, football, college, major college sports, you need to do it the right way. So not only do you need the announcers there, you need the producers traveling as well and do the games the right way. Um, we are still respecting the COVID and all those things, but it's time for everyone to be there. So a good job, you know, heavy, nobody likes heavy handed except when you like what they're doing. So NBA is still heavy-handed, <laughs> but this is a good heavy-handed. So good job, uh, NBA. Yeah, and they knew that, that, that this is, talk about pleasing the public. Uh, this is it. The most unique thing about covering the business of sports is that these networks pay the NFL $110 billion, and the NFL still expects them to kiss the NFL's butt, basically. Yeah. Uh, 
the, the same, same thing with the NBA. I mean, these are RSNs that are paying hundreds of millions in total uh, of dollars to, to the NBA for the rights. And the NBA is going back and saying, well, you're gonna, you've got to cover them in the right way. And it's a, it's a unique, uh, in almost every facet of business, you know, whoever is, uh, is getting the money is going to have to uh, have to cower uh, to, to, to the uh, whoever's paying the money. That doesn't happen in sports. Uh, good on the NBA uh, for, for getting this done. The one area that the um, uh, RSNs really push back on is especially like in, in the East Coast. If you have Charlotte going to play Portland in a November game that's going to start at 10 p.m. local time, and it's probably going to have dozens of viewers. Uh, they, the, the RSNs want a little bit of flexibility to say, you know, that's not necessarily a game that we want to uh, send, send our people to. And the NBA did listen to that. They didn't say yes or no. They were like, oh, yeah, we'll sort of review it with the team. Uh, so, so, you know, that's something. The one something thing I would say that's missing, John, it's in your story, but it's missing, is that when you do those trips, you do, you, the added up knowledge that you have, it, it shows up on another trip. So I get it. Bean counters might look at it and be like, this is in Portland. We're going to, it's going to be a late night game in Charlotte. We're only going to have this many viewers. It doesn't make sense. But those are the games also, you just, you're talking to people beforehand, you're around the team and it makes a difference. And people who've covered things understand that. It was in your story. I think the NBA understands it. So it's not just it's like when I used to go, when I covered baseball and you go down to spring training for a week, when I was like, you know, when I covered, when I was just at the ESPN radio, you know, they didn't send me for the whole spring training, but you know, I always tried to emphasize to my bosses that it wasn't just, what did you get this week? It's the relationships I'm making for the whole season. So when I show up in the clubhouse in April and May, these guys know me and I have a little bit of a rapport and it's going to help us long-term. So it's kind of an investment. So I would say the same thing when you're talking Portland and Charlotte. Yeah, of course. And uh, after that story posted, I got uh, about four or five DMs from hockey fans upset about, they, they specified the RSN, but I haven't been able to verify it. So I don't want to actually uh, say, but there, there are RSNs that still aren't traveling uh, their hockey announcers to games. Uh, there appears to be a big problem in, in Canada also with the, with the radio announcers. Again, I don't want to specify who or what uh, just, uh, but, but they're, you know, hopefully the NHL can take a look at, at what the NBA is doing and, and start to set this in motion because it makes for a better telecast. Yeah, it's, it's embarrassing that they're not. It's also respectful to the audience. And these these teams are all, the, the Suns are about to be sold for about $6 billion. Can you please, can you send a producer and, a, and the broadcasters on the road? All right, let's move on. All right, because we were going to get to Joe Davis in, in, a, in a minute. I wrote about something in the newsletter. You've also reported a lot about it. Big 12, Pac-12. Uh, it's been very popular it's subject on the podcast, their TV deals, what's going to happen. Uh, John, I, you know, I wrote about it. What, what do you think is going to happen here? Uh, what, when does this pod post? Look, I think uh, the, the, the big 12 is, is getting particularly close. Uh, ESPN and Fox um, 400 uh, uh, was a number that uh, the big 12 was looking for. It most likely is going to be like about 350. I'm told, um, and uh, there, there are a couple things with that th uh, 350. You know that that comes out to I should have done the math beforehand, but what 30, a little more than 30 uh, per school. Um, is that enough to really convince other Pac-12 teams to come? 
to uh, to the Big 12. Uh, I'm skeptical about that, but that's a, a question to look at. And the Pac-12, which is also we're going to be talking about, they're nowhere close uh, to doing anything. And the sense is that ESPN and Fox uh, and Amazon are sort of waiting to see how the Big 12 shakes out. Let that set the market, and then and then you have a, a legit number because uh, Pac-12 came out. I think I think the number that we both reported was at 500. They wanted 500. That's uh, originally, you know, uh, that, that's what, that's I didn't when it was, that. I didn't report that, but yeah, that's like crazy. That's, that's when it was going to be the, you know, the Apple and, and, and the, you know, Amazon, and there's going to be, you're not getting thing. 400, I don't think million combined. And if the big 12 ends up with 350, it's uh you know, I think that that's a pretty good met. It would appear to me that would be a pretty good benchmark for the Pac-12. All right. Well, let's just break it down a little bit more. Cause I'm, you know, we talked about, all right. I think this is what I said in my newsletter that comes out every Monday subscription, New York post sports plus um, four ninety nine a month. Uh, the, <laughs> see, you don't do your, Abe Madcore, the head of sports. Yeah, business, Matt, he's going to be emailing want. me like, why do you let Marshan do that? And you never plug SBJ media newsletter. Because the difference between me and you, and Abe knows this. And if he doesn't know, now he knows it. I'm a team guy and you're not. <laughs> Everyone knows that you're a John Morgan guy. What can it do for me? Do I get the four nine nine? No. All right. The where I how I think it ends up. Can I interrupt you one more second? Yep. Uh, New York Post Plus totally worth four ninety nine. Totally Thank worth you. it. Thank you, John. There you go. All right. Uh, they're not going to get four ninety nine. I'll tell you, it's going to be a lot more than four ninety nine for uh, these deals. All right. The Big Twelve going to end up ESPN and Fox. I think ESPN in the two hundred twenty five million dollar range. And Fox is in the $135 million range. So 350, 360 uh, as the final number. Maybe it goes up a little bit, but not getting to 400. And then I think the Pac 12 does a deal with ESPN and Amazon. Uh, I think Fox has been involved, but I just don't see it. I think there's bad blood still. Uh, Fox has the Big Ten, of course. They took UCLA and USC. I'm not saying it's impossible, but Fox, I don't think, is going to overspend uh, for the Pac 12. So they go to a digital player. I also don't think that Amazon. Um, Amazon's history is just not to, I get it, the NFL, but they just don't overspend. They're not just going to give the big 12 money. That's, that's a lot different than what if ESPN or Fox were going to do a deal. I don't think they're going to go crazy uh, for the PAC 12. Do they want in? Do they want Thursday night, NFL, Saturday, college football? Yes. But I think they split that and the PAC 12 still gets some exposure with ESPN. And to your point, the larger college football point, uh, if the money is similar, which I think it will be similar, might, might, one might be more than the other, of course, but similar, uh, then I think that uh, I don't see how expansion, you know, really is in play between the two conference teams leaving one conference for the other, unless you're a university and you really don't want to be on the digital player, you don't want to be on Amazon, and you really want the exposure of Fox and ESPN, which I do think is better at this point for college football. If you're the Pac-12 or the Big 12, that's what you want to be at, uh, You what you want to be on, uh, because I'm not positive. As bullish as I've been on Amazon, I'm not sure, uh, you know, a, the a top five conference in the Pac-12, but not a top one or two conference, or even a top three conference. Uh, I don't know if that works right now on a streaming service. Listen, if I was advising a college conference, and I've been totally positive on Amazon since the NFL Thursday night launch, which has been much better than I ever uh, would have considered, I would say you need linear television and you need the reach of linear television and it and it helps all the way through 
uh, recruiting, ticket sales, you know, like uh, all the all the revenue that goes in through that. It would have to take a huge bid that ne neither of us think Amazon is going to be uh, be doing uh, in order to have me sort of go and tether too much of my uh, football schedule with them. And Andrew, as a, as a final topic, uh, this Saturday night, I will be at Audi Field in Washington, D.C., watching the NWSL Championship, and we're bringing it up on the Sports Media uh, Podcast because it's going to be on primetime network television Saturday night, big step for the NWSL, which has had a lot of missteps over the past uh, couple of years. Yeah, that's not a good job. That's a great job by the NWSL and CBS. I'm sure the rights fee is not a lot of money. Exposure is what you want. This is a free commercial um, for the league and to grow it. And you want your championship game, your most exciting game to reach as many people as possible when you're a young, growing league. And we'll see what happens, for example, with MLS as it goes to Apple and does it do deals with ESPN and Fox so it gets a little bit more exposure. But if you're these leagues, and I look, the MLS is way ahead of NWSL and it's not even close. You know, they, they've really established themselves at the MLS. So I'm not comparing the two, but I do think you want to keep growing and, you know, dollars today uh, sometimes isn't worth it for what you can, what happens tomorrow. And so I think there's a huge, and I think, like I've said a million times, women's sports is a great growth opportunity. It's, it's there and it's not there just to do, it's there to make money. And I think uh, this is, and you want that type of partnership. And I think what CBS and Paramount and the NWSL is doing is it's real good. All right, John, let's bring in our big get. And Joe Davis, uh, it's just about to get even bigger for him. He's going to call his first World Series starting Friday, replacing Joe Buck. And now, Joe, before we start, you're in like an undisclosed location. We need the behind the scenes story here about what's going on. You finish up with the NLCS. Now you have the World Series Friday. You can't go home. What's going on? Yeah. So the NLCS finishes quickly, five games, right? So I'm going to have four or five days at home. But the problem is everybody at home is sick. They all have colds. So my my wife, my three kids, my mother-in-law's in town. I actually think she brought the cold. Not that I'm pointing fingers, but I think she brought well, the cold. Like you We're blaming the in-laws. I like that. Exactly I like that. That's exactly, yeah. Yeah, uh, tradition that's very old right there, right? Blaming the in-law. So it's like, eh, it's it's no big deal. They have just kind of minor colds and you know, fever here and there. But I don't know if I can go back there and risk getting a cold and sounding like crap for the World Series, right? So figuring out how to handle that. Stayed in Philly. That's um, the undisclosed location is now disclosed. I'm in Philly still. Going to go back, uh, unpack, repack, and, and kind of play it by ear with the kids. It's tough. The travel is always tough in October. That adds another wrinkle because you guys have to rely on your voice. I mean, there were yeah. years when I covered, uh, I remember one year, Mike Puma, who's the Mets beat writer, uh, this was like during the Yankees run. It was called the Puma Plague because the whole press box, everyone got sick and Mike Puma started it. It was called the Puma Plague. Oh, so, no. uh, yeah, you got to be careful during the uh, playoffs. It gets, yeah. It's like a sick bed. Put on a mask, Joe. Put on a mask. Yeah, hey, uh, I know, right? Like, throw a mask. The kids are going to be looking at me like, what are you doing, Dad? Say, hey, do you want me with a mask? Do you not want me at all? Because it's one <laughs> or the other right now. You, uh, such a, a big career already. Uh, at, at the, the, I think I can say this, tender age of a 34, Joe. The, um, uh, give us a close notes version of how did you get to, to where you're calling the World Series now? Yeah, um, a lot of stupid luck. 
honestly, there's so many little stories about how just right place, right time. Um, I think the big thing is that I've always known I wanted to do this. And so, you know, you go back to my high school days and choosing a college and deciding how to spend my time when I was in college, it was all kind of focused on trying to get to someplace like this someday. So, you know, went to college with that in mind, did minor league baseball for a few years out of college to ESPN, to Fox, uh, with the Dodger job right around the same time, but just a lot of good fortune and a lot of people that have gone out of their way to help me and to mentor me and, and, you know, give me advice and time when they had no reason to, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm really lucky, John. So you have a, a, a relationship with the, uh, Cubs broadcaster, Len Casper, that, mm -hmm. uh, that uh, you, you have a great story. I just want to tee you up for that story. Go ahead, yeah. Joe. That's one of those crazy luck stories, right? That So I grew up a Cubs fan and was going to a Cubs game in my sophomore year of college. Uh, my dad and I were, were headed down there and I just said I was going to handwrite a note to give to Len Casper to try and introduce myself to him and wrote this note, had it folded up, put it in my pocket. We parked in Wrigleyville, walking through Wrigleyville and get into the stadium, get up to the press box, going to leave it with the press box attendant to take to Len. And I reach in my pocket and it's gone. I'm like, oh, what a bummer. You know, I'd taken all this time to handwrite this long note and wasn't going to be able to deliver it. So we watched the game. We're driving back to Michigan. It was a Cubs loss, of course. And I get a call and it's from the owner of the Taco Bell across the street from Wrigley Field. And she said, hey, I just want to let you know, I have your letter. It's got a footprint on it. Somebody found it on the sidewalk. It's got a footprint on it, but I've got it. And I'll take it over to the stadium, make sure Len gets it. A couple of weeks later, I got an email from Len that said, hey, let's, let's chat sometime. And he became one of my very first mentors. And my first real job in baseball was announcing for the Montgomery Biscuits in Alabama. The ownership group for that team was based in Chicago. And so like my heavy hitter that I brought in when I was one of the finalists to make a call for me was Len. And had that Taco Bell owner not found the note on the sidewalk, I don't know if uh, if that connection would have been made. And I don't know if I would have gotten the biscuits job without it. Andrew, the Montgomery Biscuits, one of the best logos in all of sports yeah. is the biscuit and the pat, a pat of butter is the biscuit's tongue. That's right. I love it. That's when I knew I had made it, guys. Getting <laughs> for a team with a, a biscuit with a face as the mascot. Well, if you ever read a book, I mean, you could get have some fun from Taco Bell to biscuits to replacing <laughs> Joe Buck. I don't know some some kind of alliteration we got going there. <laughs> I love it. Now, now you replaced Vin Scully uh, with the Dodgers. Uh, just just first off, I, I think you, if tell me if I'm wrong, but you first did games when Vin was still doing them, mm -hmm. um, and so you got to know him a little bit. What was that like for you as a young broadcaster getting to know Vin Scully? Yeah, amazing. You know, the, he's the greatest ever to do this job, and nobody will ever do it the way he did it. Nobody will ever do it that well. So just uh, we didn't have a ton of crossover because he was doing home games. I was doing road games. There was a little crossover. Um, but the big advice that he gave me, Andrew, was just to be myself. And it sounds simple, but it's the same thing Red Barber told him in 1950. And he said he thought about it all the time. And it's something where like, yeah, okay, that's simple. Just be yourself. But I think anybody that gets into this, you try to be like the people that have been successful at the job. And I think that's natural in anything you get into. But his point was, you can do that and take things that you like from the people that you admire, but don't lose yourself in it. Don't water your own wine was the way Red Barber put it to him. 
And so I've, I've kind of had that in the back of my mind ever since I met Vin and, and started that Dodger job. Well, you uh, replaced Vin Scully, a legend, uh, Joe Buck. I think we can make, call him a baseball legend. He's been the voice of baseball since uh, 1996. What are the similarities in replacing them? What are the differences in replacing them? Yeah, I think there are a lot of similarities, John. And I think that it's, so you can look at it like, oh my gosh, there's all this pressure being the, being the idiot that's going to follow these legends. Or for me, the, the way I kind of channeled it was, it's what makes these positions special. It's a big part of why I wanted the Dodger job. It's a big part of why I took that job where some people were like, well, why would you be the guy that follows the guy? You got no chance. And maybe you got no chance, but like, no, that's what makes this cool. And on the Fox side of it, a big part of what makes it so special for me is that I am following Joe and he's one of those mentors and he's the guy that I grew up watching and, you know, all the big moments in baseball that I remember have his voice on it. So when I talk about dreaming of doing this, it was watching Joe that like, I'm sitting there thinking, man, how cool would it be to one day be like that? So, yeah, I think that similar, very similar in that respect. And that the people that were in these chairs before me largely define them for me. Has Joe given you any advice in terms of how to handle this position? Yeah, actually, before I did my very first big league game for Fox, his advice to me was, if you get hit by a bus on the way to the stadium, and I'm sure you guys can hear Joe saying this, they ain't going to hold a moment of silence for you. So don't take yourself too seriously. <laughs> get in there, get in the booth, settle in, take a deep breath, and then just have some fun and call the game. And uh, that, that was Joe's, some of Joe's first advice to me. And um, through the years, he's, he's given me plenty. I, we got together before the All-Star game. He gave me a scorebook that he scored the last 10 or 12 All-Star games with, this giant one that he got done. He's kind of, he has an obsession with Kinko's. It's not even called Kinko's anymore, but I think he's just got that wired in his brain, right? Uh, so he, he created this scorebook and he gave it to me. So that was, that was a really cool tangible thing that he passed on to me. Um, but no, I mean, I, I texted with him a few days ago about, you know, just checking in on how he's doing and um, we caught up a little bit. And I guess the advice there without it really seeming like advice was he just said, just have fun. This is no different. It's still the same game that you call 150 times a year. You know, if you got hit by a bus, they wouldn't hold a moment of silence, but you'd be one of the first topics on this podcast, I think. So Hey, that's big enough. You are somebody. Don't get hit by a bus. The moral of the story is don't get hit by a bus. Yeah, just don't do it. <laughs> try not, first of all, try not to get a cold, then try not to get hit by a bus, okay. and then this World Series thing will be simple. It'll be a breeze. Do this thing. Right. Hey, Joe, you, you were just calling the NLCS and uh, one of the most exciting uh, closeouts uh, that, that I that I saw from from a broadcaster standpoint, take us through the eighth inning and Bryce Harper's at bat. I, did you foresee what was about to happen or like how, how do you approach something like that? Because if you were in the stadium at the time, it, that, that, that was certainly the, the defining moment of the game, even before you hit that. Yeah just amazing and uh, you know reflecting on it in the hours that have passed it's like that kind of stuff doesn't happen in real life where the guy provides the moment right it's like it never happens that way 
it was something where, you know, getting into the late innings, you, no matter what, you're really focused on every next pitch in the postseason. And, and you guys know, I haven't done a world series yet, but I've done enough postseason games where I've had some practice on that realizing that, you know, every next pitch can be the one. So you're really focused on the pitch by pitch of every at bat. And then you kind of see, you're always looking ahead in the batting order and you see that Bryce Harper's coming up. You've got the added layer of the pitching decisions that Bob Melvin had to make. Does he go to the lefty Josh Hader, who's another superstar in his own right? So just all those little things that were stacking on top of each other to lead to that moment. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, you don't, I don't want to say you see it coming, but you're always kind of anticipating a moment like that coming because at least, at least for me, I'm not smart enough to just have it happen and, and be ready. Right. You got, you got to kind of anticipate it coming, especially in those late innings in big games like this. Hits one in the air, left center field, back it goes. Harper, the swing of his life. So Were you, you happy with the call? Yeah. Are you thinking swing of my, yeah. Are you thinking the call before you say it or how's that work? You know, I think so. I think anybody that says they never think about like they just say what comes out. I think you're lying. If that's the case, that's another one for me, at least I'm not going to what I try to do is wrap my mind around the context of what's happening as opposed to just it's a home run in the Phillies lead. Right. Like that's that's fine. But no, this is bigger than that. And so wrapping my mind around what the moment would mean if it did happen, kind of leaning forward into, okay, if something does happen here, what does it mean? It's more than the Phillies taking the lead. It's more than the Phillies being on the verge of the World Series. And what I kept thinking about as Bryce is up there was just this baseball life that he's lived. And, you know, he's been so many things. He was the can't miss phenom. And then he was the bust. And then he was the MVP. And at this point, you can argue that he's even a little bit underrated. He's become such a spectacular player and there's that whole backstory to it. So I think what I a lot of times would get is like a word that just sticks with me. And the word for me there, Andrew, was just life, like his baseball life. And so I try to wrap my mind around that context and then trust myself when the moment happens to have it hopefully come out and, and be a decent call. Now, now, how would you describe your style? Like, uh, I'm trying to think, I think it was, it was the Phillies with Rob Thompson mm -hmm. um, when Wheeler was pitching. What was that, game two? Yeah, well, he's game one and then, yes, and, and game five is Okay, well. so game one. So game one, he pitched seven innings. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you were kind of like wondering if they'll keep him in. Uh, and then they ended up taking him out. And you were kind of pretty like, this could be a mistake. Like, what? give me your thought process in that in terms of you're the play-by-player, -player, but you, you're definitely leading Smoltz a direction in that one. Yeah, I think that if you have an opinion, it's important to, you know, be confident to share it. Uh, I never want to have an opinion just for the sake of having one. But if there's if I can back it up, like in that case, you know, we, we looked at the pitch count. We looked at he was still pretty strong. There weren't good swings against him. And it's also empowering to be sitting next to a Hall of Famer. Who, yep. who knows and who I know is going to be able to kind of validate that. And that's one of the great things about John or, or any of these partners that I've been fortunate to work with is that I can be confident if I'm going to have an opinion like that, it's either going to get validated or shot down immediately because the person next to me is the ultimate expert who can kind of take it a step beyond that. Joe, uh, you're getting, uh, you're getting ready to do your first world series. Uh, it's not a regular season baseball game where it's one of 162. Yeah. How do you approach this differently? 
You know, it's interesting, John, and I didn't, I didn't think that this would be the case. I was, I didn't put much thought into how this would feel. I, so like, you, I've always wanted to do this and then you find out you're going to do it. And it's like, wow, what is that going to be like? Like that first world series game, what are the nerves going to be like? What I didn't anticipate is how in my first full postseason run here, you know, I've done division series and I've filled in on the championship series, but this is the first time where every day in October, I'm doing a postseason game. It from the division series to the championship series just kind of flowed from one into the other where I didn't have any, you know, had you just parachuted me into game one of the championship series, it would have been like, oh, okay, this is big. This is, this is bigger. But it's like, we've been in the postseason, been sitting next to John for two or three weeks now. And I really think that that's going to carry over to the world series. Cause I don't know if it does anybody any good for me to overthink it and treat it differently. I know how to handle a big game and have had a month of big games leading up to it. So I don't know if it does anybody any good for me to overthink that. I think I kind of just keep riding that wave from the championship series and those big games into these ones. How do you handle the scrutiny? It's part of it, right? It's part of the gig. Uh, I got off social media. So I think that's a good way of. Are you totally off of it? So what I did was I, on Twitter, I, told my agent, I said, here's my password. I want you to get in there, change the password and hide the key, right? Like you're the only one that has the password. I don't need to be on there. So got off there. I think that that's an important thing to do because you can say what you want. You don't let it bother you, but everybody's human and negative stuff's going to bother you. And I get that it comes to the territory, especially you guys describe this, but in baseball, the Fan bases have their local guys for 162 games. And so it's just kind of the nature of the beast. I see it on the other side too, because I'm one of those team guys who the fan base is awesome to me and the fan base complains when I'm out there. And like, so I see it from the other side too. understand that it's part of it. And, you know, I don't know, it's cliche, but it is what it is. And you just try to deal with it and not get too caught up in it. So I, I want to get a little bit more just into the nuts and bolts of preparing for a World Series. Like, mm-hmm. th- th- there are obvious storylines between these two teams that, that are going in there. You obviously don't want to force a storyline, but how much is that playing into – how do you work those into the broadcast? It helps having had the Phillies for their whole run. So that's just kind of a continuation of what we've been doing. Uh, my work this week, a lot of it's focused on the Astros, a team who I haven't seen in a little while. Uh, and then as far as how to execute that, I think that it's important, especially in game one, that you're establishing those headlines. And I try to organize my prep where you're going to have a lot of stuff in there. There's going to have countless articles you can read this week and people you can talk to, and you're going to have a lot. But I try to avoid that messy desk syndrome, right, where you sit down and like there's just so much you're overwhelmed. You can't find anything like when you're sitting at a messy desk. I try to organize it so I know what's the most important thing. What's the headline for this team? I mean, for the Phillies, it's they had the longest postseason drought in the National League, which is crazy to think about. They were the last team in the field and probably got there in a season where their manager was changed midseason. They beat the odds just to get to the postseason. And now here they are in the World Series trying to win their first one in 14 years. So you know, that's that's a longer version of the headline, but I've got all the stories kind of organized into that. I think you establish that the first couple innings of the first game, probably establish it second game, third game, two, and then you kind of react as the series goes on and those storylines develop. Cool. John, listen, I think there's a few things that we've learned here. Number one, 
is you got to keep the mask on. You're going to have to avoid being sick. Can't get hit by a bus. Pipes sound then, good in the pod, though, Andrew. The pipes sound really good right they now. Sound good. <laughs> Hopefully, we're recording. You know, this come, we come out obviously on Wednesdays. World Series starts on Friday. So, number one, wishing you good health, Joe, and and, and good luck uh, throughout this uh, World Series. And and do you plan on doing 24 like Joe Buck did? Hey, I'm just going to try to do this first one and not screw it up, and then we'll talk about number two. And if I get anywhere close to that, awesome. Andrew, let, let me let me uh, wrap this up. One final question. I got a question, Joe, about your parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got to be proud. Uh, you know, you, you're doing your first World Series, but are they more proud of the first World Series or your uh, brother's Academy Award? What 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 works? <laughs> what works better? Um, on that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure they tell him they're most proud of him, and they tell me they're most proud of me. So I can't believe any. I just I know they are proud, and uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be where I am without them. Yeah, Joe, Joe Davis's brother got an Academy Award for uh, documentaries yeah. uh, at the age of like 25 or something like that. He actually moved to L.A. before I did. He's my younger brother. But he moved to L.A. when he was a sophomore in college, went to Santa Monica Junior College for a year, transferred to USC Film School. And yeah, winning, winning all kinds of awards like that. It's crazy. We're from two kids from Potterville, Michigan, living, you know, 10 miles apart in L.A. now chasing our dreams. That's pretty cool. Do you have any other siblings? I do. I have a sister and I feel horrible because she's incredibly successful too, but nobody ever asks about her because she's- <laughs> That's why I asked. That's why I asked. That's what we do here. Uh, she, we do on the Marshall Thank Department. you for- You, yeah, you are her new- Let's get sister. What's her name? Her name is Catherine Davis and Andrew, you are her new favorite sports <laughs> media writer. Nice. And what does she do? Give me a little Catherine Davis. So she's in a similar realm uh, to my brother and- she creates, she works for a company, she's in Michigan still, and she works for a company where uh, they shoot uh, ads, and um, she's kind of like in more of a producer role, Okay. Uh, or my brother is a director of photography and has dabbled in the producing and stuff, but uh, yeah, so she's in that similar field. All right, cool. All right, listen, Davis is, the Davis, we got to find out what the Davis parents are doing in Pottersville, they, they got it going on. <laughs> Successful Joe, parents, we- definitely. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think your dad's your spotter, right, on football. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. And he takes that job, Andrew, more seriously than anybody takes any job. It's almost scary. Like, Dad, dude, it's okay <laughs> that we we got that one wrong. My career's not going to end. I think he thinks every time he makes a mistake, he's cost his son something significant. Yeah, I could see that. Well, high school football coach, yeah. right? Before, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Yep. So, so yeah, I could see that. He, 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 look, I, I think that's a lot of pressure. I, I don't... You know, you mess up, it, it, and it's his fault. Yeah. It reflects on you, not him. So I could see him uh, feeling that pressure. So good for him. All right, family yeah. affair here. No, that's why you're not getting Brady money. It's your dad, man. Come on, right? Jeez, <laughs> yeah, he's holding me back, Dad. I can get you really nice stuff if you just stop holding me back. And I got Tom Brady money. Exactly. We do good job, John, asking about Brady. All right, Joe. Good luck with the World Series. Keep your voice intact. Hopefully. uh um that goes fine and uh and good luck with smoltz and uh it should be a good one yeah um, you know phillies uh are a fun team to watch and the astros kind of have a kind of mini dynasty especially if they can get another one here no doubt hey i appreciate you guys having me i really enjoyed it thanks joe all right guys you know andrew joe davis new to the uh, uh national broadcast booth what i took away from that interview He's big enough to call this game. The voice is big enough. I mean, I'm not ready to, to say he's going to be here for 30 years like a Joe Buck, but I, I think that 
you know, this is somebody that replaced Vince Scully. He's now replacing Joe Buck. Like he, he's going to meet this moment, I believe. Look, I'm, I'm going to jury still out for me. I got to see more uh, before I definitely say Joe Davis is uh, the guy. I will say, and I said this before, because he's been on. Like, it's not like he's new to this. Uh, he's been doing a lot of games because Joe Buck was doing football for Fox, you know, until the LCS and the World Series. And sometimes he didn't even do all the LCS games. Uh Joe Davis has shown the ability to hit the big call, which is probably the most important thing you're going to do uh, when you're doing the World Series. you got to hit those big calls. To me, it's innings one through six. Are he and Smoltz? Is it interesting enough? Uh, you know, is it is there a good enough banter? Is it fun? Which is hard in baseball, especially in the national. Like, doing national games is the hardest thing ever. But it, that was a fun interview. Hopefully, he can stay healthy. That's the, that's, the, that's the biggest wish we have for Joe Davis. A lot going on there. And a lot of Joe Davis on this pod. Speaking of which, let's get to our Call of the Week. Call of the Week. All right, set it up. Uh, Philadelphia, game five. I happened to be in the audience uh, for, for this atmosphere in Citizens Bank Park was incredible, especially for this, the final out of the series. Suarez fires. Pop fly. Right field. Segura's out. Castellanos on. And the Philadelphia Wait one second. You were at the game. Yeah, I went to the game. Oh wow! Look at you. You. Uh, my son lives in. My lo- son lives in Philly. So I, I, you're like a game a week. <laughs> I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Good for you. All right. So yeah, that was a good call by Davis. The opening call that we had with the home run uh, for Bryce Harper that was real good. And here uh, Davis's explanation uh, that was interesting as well. Uh, so Joe Davis, look, big deal. He's going to be doing the. Uh, uh, World Series, but bigger deal really be featured on this podcast the whole time. Yeah, no kidding. Like uh, we, we should start to charge him for all, all, all these mentions we have in there. But here's why I like that, Andrew. It is he's the new voice of baseball. I don't know how long it's going to be. You know, he's going to be the voice of baseball. But he is. That's what he is right now. And that that was a good sort of way to to, to get into it and get ready for the series. All right, that was fun. Well, thanks to Joe Davis for joining us. Uh, thanks to you, John. As always, always fun partnering up. Uh, If you want, you can rate, review, and subscribe. That's always helpful, and we really do appreciate the ratings and and everyone who's uh, tuned in every week. And uh, don't forget Chris Mason, who puts this together, A.C. Wyatt, who keeps us, uh, uh, he's herding cats with us. Uh, Always do do this well. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next week. Well, Chris Mason also deserves credit because, yeah, I, I really... I really shouldn't be critiquing any announcers if you heard the opening. I was struggling, <laughs> struggling at the opening. Yeah, I didn't do well. Oh, no, I messed that up. Starting over. Sorry. Yeah, I'm just sorry. Here we go. Last time. Last time, I promise. Burn this tape. I promise. Last time. Right, here we go. Let's just say this is not live to tape. <laughs> Who's down? Me. Or I quit. All right, here we go. <laughs> Thanks, everybody.